Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So today is the baptism of our Lord, eight days after his birth. Um, however, we're observing the epiphany of our Lord, which was technically yesterday. Uh, but some churches today will observe the epiphany of our Lord, some will observe the baptism of our Lord, and some will observe the first Sunday after the epiphany, which was yesterday. So it could be any of those. Um, and you'll notice in your bulletin that the artwork is for the baptism of our Lord. But we don't go by the artwork. It's just that's the bulletins that we purchase. So they kind of take a, a stab at what is going to be used. So anyway, um, the epiphany, what does that mean anyway? It's uh, the revealing of Jesus Christ. That's what the word means. And our gospel lesson from Matthew shows us wise men. That's what our translation calls it. Wise men coming from the east. So let's talk about wise men and true wisdom. Now the text renders the Greek word magi as wise men. There is no certainty as to where the magi came from, except that they came from the east. Um, Some people would say that magi, uh, it can refer to a variety of things. So you could translate that word different ways. You could say that it was Uh, that they were members of a priestly caste that came from the Persians. They were called Magi. Um, A magician or a sorcerer would be called Magi. You'd use that same word. Um, A deceiver or a seducer would be called Magi. Would you prefer I say Magi? Because it could be either way, whatever you prefer. (laughs) I'll take a poll. Uh, Anyway, uh, finally, and this would be the most general understanding of the term, Magi would be someone with supernatural knowledge. Uh, so for example, someone who can interpret dreams would be given the name Magi or would be called a Magi. All right, but wise men is a great way to understand who these Magi are. I like that interpretation, and we'll get to why. They were definitely not kings. I am sorry if you are a big fan of the hymn, We Three Kings, which you will notice is not in our hymnal. Uh, they were not kings for sure. Now, were there three of them? According, oh, maybe. I mean, according to our nativity scene, there were three. Why do you think there were three? Well, because there were three gifts. So this, the text does tell us there were three gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So traditionally, we've said there were three magi. Not necessarily. Could have been 30. Um, could be any number. But traditionally, that's why we've said three. But that's why that song is not in our hymnal. Now, they were not kings. Um, Could have been three, could have been 30. Uh, The idea of three, of course, comes from the gifts. Um, Some people will say, actually, that the gifts are uh, typical typical sort of gifts that would be brought to a king. But other people will say that there's significance to them, right? So gold is the gift for a king. Frankincense would be the gift for God. Uh, why? Because frankincense is burned like, it, like incense. It's, it, it goes up in smoke. That's rising up to God. So that's frankincense. And then myrrh is used as a, a spice in the burial process. You know, when Jesus was wrapped, he was wrapped and wrapped and wrapped. His body was wrapped. And, and as you wrapped him in cloths, as, as you wrapped the body in cloths, you would put spices in between layers, successive layers. Um, So all of these would be fitting gifts for the Christ. 
So perhaps Matthew, when he wrote this gospel, he intended it to come across that way. He wanted to show that Jesus is king, Jesus is, um, is God, and Jesus is to be died. He's foretelling his, his burial. Um, it's likely that the wise men came from Babylon. The text says they came from the east, Babylon certainly to the east. Why would we say that they came from Babylon? Well, because um, if they had come from Babylon, then they would have been familiar of the prophecies of the Christ, the Messiah, and uh, they would have been familiar, uh, uh, they'd be familiar with that from the writings of Daniel. Remember, Daniel was taken into Babylon in the captivity. Uh, and he wrote while he was there. So they would have been familiar with his teaching, and they would have known that there would come a Messiah. They were knowledgeable enough to know that he would come to Jerusalem. That's why they show up at Jerusalem looking for him. They came to worship. Uh, the word we use is worship. They came to worship Jesus. Now, that word, uh, proskunasai, can be translated as worship as it is in our translation, but it can also mean to kiss the hand, as you would do to an earthly ruler, to a king. It, it means to like pay respect to the king. So could be that also. Um, you could understand it as obeisance. That would be like reverence to an earthly king. Now, I'm saying a lot of it could be this, could be that. That might make you feel uncomfortable. And I'm sorry if it does. The point I'm making is that these are historical facts that are interesting and worth exploring as long as we keep in mind that there is not any doctrine of the Christian faith that turns on what the answer to those questions are. Um, it, it, there's nothing that, that would change depending on how we understand um, where the wise men came from, specifically, uh, how much they understood of he who has been born king of the Jews, um, how wise they really were, whether there were three or 30 of them, whether they worshipped him as God or reverenced him as an earthly king, whether there was significance in the gifts that they brought or not. There's no doctrine that is established based on any of those details, as interesting as they might be. But, what is theologically reverent, uh, what is the theologically relevant here is that they were Gentiles. They came from the east. That means they came from pagan Gentile lands. They knew. I mean, they knew because they had the writings of Daniel. They, were, they knew enough to know that there would come a Messiah who they called King of the Jews. Um, they came to Jerusalem. Once in Jerusalem, Herod the Great, the text says, was alarmed and all the people with him. All of Jerusalem. Why, were, why was all of Jerusalem alarmed? Probably because when Herod, the despotic king that he is, is alarmed, everyone is alarmed. Because there's no telling what he's going to do. We know from history, from our scripture, we know what he did do. The murder of the innocents. Herod came to, uh, sent his uh, soldiers to Bethlehem and killed Anyone that was, any male that was under the age of two. How terrible. So yeah, so all the people were alarmed along with Herod. Herod's alarmed because he thinks, where's the usurper who's going to take over my uh, position? And the people are alarmed because they think, uh-oh, he's not going to be happy. So the magi, the wise men come, they say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. 
chief priests and scribes noticed that they had a ready answer in Bethlehem of Judea. There's no question where he's going to be born. Bethlehem, that's where he's going to be born. They, uh, they received this from Micah 5.2. You can cross-reference that and you'll see that that was prophesied. But think about this. Gentiles, these magi who are Gentiles, wise men, have traveled a far distance, coming from the east, probably Babylon, coming uh, hundreds of miles to come to Jerusalem to find this, this king of the Jews. Meanwhile, the chosen people of Israel who are dwelling in Jerusalem, which is only about seven miles, it's like a two-hour walk from, uh, from Bethlehem, they know where he's to be born, but they have not gone to uh, see him or marked his birth. And that's why we call this the epiphany, because this is the revealing, the manifestation of Jesus Christ to the entire world. These are Gentiles who have come to him. Gentile wise men are, in this case, they are representing representatives of the entire world. They're, they're real historical people, but they represent something also. They represent all of the world coming to Jesus Christ, who has been revealed. Uh, our epistle lesson this morning from uh, Ephesians, Paul said, to me uh, was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden, hidden for ages in God. In other words, Paul is saying, I have this blessing of preaching, and what I preach to both Jew and Gentile is what has been hidden, and it's no longer hidden because we have seen his glory. We have seen him. He is Jesus Christ. The apostle Paul was given that mission to bring that gospel, that Jesus died for your sins, that he died for the sins of the whole world, that you are justified by faith. Paul was given the mission to bring that gospel to the ends of the earth. And in preaching that gospel, think about this, Epiphany continues in the preaching of that gospel. As you share that word with someone, someone uh, could be in any, any sort of interaction you have with a person. But when you share with them that Christ died for their sins, the epiphany continues because you're revealing to them that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus Christ was revealed to all people, to both Jew and Gentile. And yet, there were many Jews that would not receive him. And there were many Gentiles that would not receive him. And yet, there were some Jews that would receive him. And then there were some Gentiles that would receive him. I mean, the early church was primarily Jews because they were the ones that, that understood. They, they knew. We've been, as we go through Acts in our Bible study, we have uh, consistently seen that Paul always preached that the Christ, whoever it might be, the Christ should suffer and die. So if you believe your scriptures... Then, under, then read them and understand that. And, and so he was preaching that to the Jews because they were, they were familiar with their Old Testament scriptures, so they saw that. And yet this light also comes to the Gentiles. And in fact, now there is no longer any distinction, which Paul says elsewhere, there is no more Jew nor Gentile. I mean, all believers are part of the same body of believers. Don't, uh, don't listen to people that say, that believers are grafted into um, 
the people Israel. That, that's not the right way of understanding it. All believers, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, if you are a believer, you've been grafted into Christ, not a people group. You've been grafted into Christ. If you are not grafted into Christ, you are not a believer. These are uh, the terms. There is no second dispensation or, or separate dispensation that's just for the Jews who don't believe in the Messiah. No, that's not correct. Now, I want to come back to this question of true wisdom. And I said earlier that the term wise men is a good way to translate magi. And why do I say that? Well, the scripture says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And you'll find that in multiple places in the Psalm, in Psalm and, and Proverbs. And the converse is also given. All those who practice wisdom have good understanding. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. That's especially poignant. The knowledge of the Holy One is insight. In other words, true wisdom is knowing the Holy One. That's Jesus, the Christ. That is true wisdom. So that's why I say they're rightly called wise men, because they recognize that this is the one. Now, uh, interestingly, you can look and, and uh, sort of just think about the different um, institutions that we have today in which there are purveyors of wisdom, or at least worldly wisdom, okay? Fortune 500 companies, oh boy, they must be really smart. Uh, think tanks, you know, there's all these great think tanks that do all this research and policy making and so forth. Universities. I mean, can we even say that anymore? It's funny. I, I heard of someone who was going to Harvard. Oh, yeah, it was, uh, I won't say it, but yeah, we knew someone who was going to Harvard. And I was like, that is not wisdom. That is not a wise place. I mean, come on. Anyway, but these are, there, there are institutions that are filled with people who are deemed to be wise. And there are a lot of intellectuals who are deemed to be wise. But they are. By worldly standards, they're very wise. But if they imagine that they possess true wisdom, like true, true wisdom because they you know, have it up here or they, they manifest this true wisdom in themselves, they will themselves to be wise and to know, you know, to take it upon themselves to know all things. And, you know, I can explain photosynthesis. Well, that's great. That's wonderful. I'm so glad. I mean, don't get me wrong. If we go to the garden center, we appeal to that person's wisdom who will help us make sure that our roses are bloom fully and look nice and, and all that. I mean, that's great. That is, there's that wisdom. But true wisdom is, is not uh, found in, inside our heads. That's not, that's not where true wisdom comes from. And if people deny Christ, if you deny Christ, then you are really not wise. Uh, there, there's a, a, a real lack of wisdom there. You're a pretender if you deny. But I don't want to just pick on intellectuals or like the people who uh, you know, uh, sit on high in these prestigious institutions and, and let their uh, wisdom cascade down on us underlings. I, I don't want to just pick on them. We do this ourselves too. We, we think, I've got it all figured out. We even have the audacity sometimes to question God and to say, God, 
Why did you allow this thing to happen? Why did you let that happen to me? Well, I prayed for them. Why did you let them die? You know, these are the things. Uh, how could you let me lose my job, God? Uh, you know, is this punishment for something? So we do this too. We think sometimes too much of ourselves and too much of our own earthly wisdom, even to the point of calling God into question, as though his inscrutable ways are something we should be able to always understand and explain. No, we're just as guilty of doing that. Knowledge puffs up. That's what Paul warns about in 1 Corinthians 8. So I think it's good that we ask ourselves, do we have an unhealthy confidence in our own knowledge? Do you? Do you have an unhealthy confidence? <clears throat> and the problem is that no human being, neither you nor the Ivy League geniuses, uh, created the universe. Jesus Christ did. That's why he understands it in a way that we don't. So we have to submit ourselves to true wisdom. Um, you know, uh, think about uh, marriage. You know, There's people that probably look at us as being ignorant rubes because we have this antiquated idea that marriage is like one man, one woman for life. That's what marriage is. Well, Jesus said, have you not read? In the beginning, he created them, male and female. That also touches on the idea of evolution. Oh, yeah, millions of years, evolution, you know, people created out of whatever. Jesus says, have you not read? In the beginning, he created them, male and female. See, that's true wisdom, is listening to Jesus, not our own worldly, lofty ideas and opinions of ourselves and, and our wisdom. The other problem is that neither you nor those Ivy League geniuses can save you from your sin. That's the real problem. But Christ can and does save you from your sin. So do you consider yourself wise? You would all do well to consider yourselves fools for Christ. Be a fool for Christ. Doesn't mean being a dummy. I mean, none of you are. I know that you think critically. I know that you pay attention to things. I know that you apply yourself to knowing and understanding God's word because in that you get wisdom. And that's, that's good. That's what it means to be a, a fool for Christ in this sense. And of course, the word fool is not... It's uh, sarcastic to be a fool for Christ. All right. <clears throat> Paul wrote to the Corinthians. I want to close with this. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Now, what's interesting there is that that implies that some were wise according to worldly standards. Some were of noble birth. Some were powerful. And yet they came to that same altar, they came to that same word of God and humbled themselves to listen to it. Because before God, we are 
fools for Christ. All right, I'll stop interrupting Paul. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And then he goes on to say, You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification and redemption. That is what real wisdom is. That is true wisdom, is seeing Jesus Christ for who he truly is, which is your Savior. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.